Holy Gospel according to John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. I am not, by definition, a Talking Heads fan. I was never really into new wave music. However, I did like the song Once in a Lifetime when that came out back in 1980. And I will always sing along to the song Psycho Killer because that's great. But after much discernment, it seemed self-evident that a song called Psycho Killer probably had less traction in a sermon than other singles by the Talking Heads, so sadly that did not make the cut. This past week, there is one song by the Talking Heads that I cannot get out of my head, a single released in 1985 called Road to Nowhere. I was 13 when it was released, well into my spiral perm days of the mid-80s, and could never have foreseen the time 35 years later when the world would be besieged by a deadly pandemic, a time when our country would be hurtling headfirst into a recession of epic proportions, a time when the dead would be counted by the tens of thousands while parks and parlors and beaches and pubs open up, a time when murderous hornets seem to be closing in on us, a time when spring and summer natural disasters will inevitably further complicate world health, a time when our grip on our own environment and climate seem like it will never be regained, a time when, just as our national emergency seems to spike, a time when migrant workers and minorities are being disproportionately ravaged by this virus, 
a time when our federal leadership flirts with the idea of dismantling the National Task Force on the coronavirus because it looks like our work here may be done, even as our fatalities keep escalating. Ours is a time when a vaccine for this coronavirus seems like a dream, drifting further and further into the future as if carried out to sea by some evil tide. And we are all still shaking our heads as if trying to wake from a bad dream, wondering where in the world is all this going? We're on the road to nowhere. Enter the Talking Heads song, which I cannot get out of my head, and also in a million years, never dreamt I would call upon it as a sermon illustration. My son Christian even told me this was too dark a song to reference during a sermon, but I insisted that dark times call for dark songs, even or maybe especially new wave songs from the 80s. I feel a strong resonance between this feeling of being on a road to nowhere and Thomas mentioned in this morning's gospel. He's so often portrayed as the clueless one, the doubting one, the one who never ever gets it. He's the one who every year gets the spotlight on the Sunday after Easter when Jesus appears to the disciples who are locked away in a room. It's as if Thomas gets the very last curtain call every single year, and Christmas and Easter church people never get to hear about him. That first Easter, when Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas is not with them. And when they later describe to him what happened, he says, unless I see for myself, I will not believe, forever branding him as doubtful, skeptical, cynical, clueless. And yet, read in the context of today, maybe we catch a glimpse into who Thomas is in a new and fresh way. In light of today's pandemic and global uncertainty regarding health, economy, and climate, perhaps we can reacquaint ourselves with Thomas with new eyes and discover that Thomas is not really a doubter, and he doesn't intend to be skeptical or cynical or even clueless. It's just that Thomas is a planner, and things aren't working out for Thomas as he has planned. And this is extremely burdensome for him, as it is burdensome for all planners when planning isn't even remotely working out, resulting in anxiety and depression, feelings of futility. In today's gospel, Thomas seems to snap, even as so many of us have also recently snapped. And he says, hey, Jesus, you said, follow me, and I changed my plans and followed you. Then you changed the plan and said, I'm going to die. And you die. And then the future plan changed when you said, after I die, I will live again. And we all tried to wrap our heads around what that might mean. And now you change the plan again by saying that you're going away and I can't follow you. Okay, so Jesus, what's the plan now? Where are you going? Where is any of this going? Because plans seem to change every single day with you. And how dare you tell me to not let my heart be troubled? Can my heart be anything but troubled right now when there is no plan? It seems every step Thomas takes falls on shaky ground that crumbles under his very feet. How do you move forward when the plan changes every day, when nothing seems to be certain, when the body and brain become paralyzed by exhaustion over having to imagine and reimagine the future in a thousand different scenarios? It's not that we doubt 
or intend to be skeptical or cynical or clueless is that we have no idea what the plan is because it is ever-shifting. And then we lose hope. And then we have no idea what or whom to trust. In Thomas's life, where truths about who Jesus is and what he has come to accomplish unfold in unexpected ways, Thomas struggles. I love Thomas in this struggle because I struggle as well, and I'm sure you do too, with plans unexpectedly unfolding about employment and education, keeping up with what's open and what's not and how many people can be there and what they need to wear on their face and hands, not to mention the political war that all of this has turned into. In our lives, every country and state and in some cases county has its own plan, and lives depend upon these plans. But in most cases, the plans are unknown at worst and ever-shifting at best. It calls to mind beloved passages from the prophets long used to comfort and console people in times of uncertainty and anxiety, passages like that from Jeremiah, where the Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that is lovely, but assuring me that you have a plan offers little comfort or consolation if I have no idea what that plan is. I don't know what the plan is for my own son's education. I have no idea what the human plan is for the campus ministry or the congregation that I serve. No idea what the plan is for saving our planet or resuscitating the economy. And then to trust an unknown and unseen plan that God has, it feels like too much. I feel like saying, hey, Thomas, let's get out of here and go have a beer. That is as soon as the bars are opened up and we're allowed to sit within six feet from one another. Because it's hard times for ones who need a plan. When plans nowadays seem to be like the mist or the fog that we keep trying to grasp in vain, as the author of Ecclesiastes so eloquently describes. So what is our plan now as Christians, as human beings, trying to comprehend our new world with all of its reconfigured paradigms of society and culture? What can we count on when the ground in front of each new step seems to crumble? The plan, it seems to me, is gratitude. To try our best to steward the tiny corner of the world in which we live. To try our best to love the familiar faces we've seen little else of for these past eight weeks, or if you are alone, your own beloved face. To try to manage our words tenderly in texts, emails, phone calls, and unending Zoom meetings. To search the faces and the voices in others for traces of suffering and pain that prompt us to dig deeper. How are you really? How are your spirits? How is your soul? How is your heart? I miss you. I give God thanks for you, especially now that we are apart. I think of you and I smile. I pray for you as I walk. I give God thanks that you exist as I wait for an hour for grocery pickup, as I bake bread, as my kids fighting drives me to drink more wine than I should. Maybe it's a time to make small plans, ones that usher us through this hour or this day. Plans of gratitude, 
to find shreds of hope and joy and celebrate them, lifting them up as glimpses of beauty in these dark times. Look for them. They are there. Today's plan, then, is one of gratitude, maybe for your mother today, maybe for a good book, maybe for birdsong in the morning or the smell of freshly turned soil and the touch of new seeds being planted. Maybe that's what Thomas was doing that first Easter evening when the other disciples were locked away and he was absent. Who knows, maybe Thomas was trying to make a new plan for himself, piece by piece putting his life back together. Who knows, maybe he was out looking for a job, thinking to himself, this Jesus thing didn't work out, so I guess I'll have to find a job and beg my wife to take me back. Maybe Thomas isn't a doubter or a cynic or a buffoon, just a planner like you and me, doing his best to navigate an ever-shifting landscape the best he knows how, one step at a time, one hour at a time. The less we blame Thomas, the better. The more we see God's face in him and in ourselves, the better. Big plans will again one day unfold. For now, small plans suffice. They are holy in their own ways. It's okay, Thomas, for you to struggle putting the pieces of your reality together, because we are too. It's okay to not know what sacraments mean in times of social distancing. It's okay to not know what education or employment look like. It's okay not to see the immediate relevance of creeds or doctrine or catechism. It's okay for my campus ministry students to struggle with graduation and looking for a job or relationships that are new and suddenly interrupted by quarantine. For now, for now, perhaps it's enough to know that there is God, that God exists that we are God's creation, and maybe that's enough. Perhaps for now that's all the mind can grasp, and perhaps in that grasping there is deep gratitude. When the boys were babies, I would hold them as they slept, and sometimes they would suddenly reach out in their sleep for my finger or my hair, and they would hold on for dear life, not knowing what the next minute or hour or year would hold but knowing that the one they were grasping would never let them go. Maybe for now that is enough, when we feel as if we're on the road to nowhere, to reach out, to grasp, to know that the one to whom we cling is somehow present and will never let us go. And for that moment, may our hearts release their trouble and may we find peace. Amen.